the Holy Family Chapel Hill podcast, where you will find our weekly sermons, as well as the occasional reflection, conversation, or interview. We are glad you are here. Welcome. I speak to you today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we've had a chance to meet and talk a little bit, you may know I love the sport of volleyball. I've been a fan, a player, and a coach. Honest to goodness, God often uses volleyball as a tool for discipleship in my life. So even if you're not a sporty person, please just bear with me for a moment. One of the things I appreciate about the sport is that there's a clear definition of the end goal. To win, you have to be the first team to score 25 points. It's not as ambiguous as a time-based sport. This team to score 25 points. In the end, both teams are working to see 25 on that scoreboard. In volleyball, everyone knows what they're heading toward. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. And at the risk of spoiling the ending, I want to talk about where we're heading. Set that end goal, so to speak. And before that, I want to make a quick acknowledgement. Lent is obviously not a sport. It is not a competition between us or a competition between us and them. But there is a sort of cosmic battle at play in the ministry of Christ, so the athletics parallel may still hold some relevance. Now, back to the end of Lent. What we're aiming for in these 40 days set apart to prepare for Easter is ultimately participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus through the waters of baptism. As we enroll the catechumens in just a moment, there will be some among us who will be newly baptized into the faith. And I'm extremely excited about that. And all of us will renew our baptismal vows together in Lent, we're walking with Jesus through his ministry up to his death with our eyes always set on that Easter vigil. In Lent, we know what we're heading toward. With baptism on the horizon, let's take a look at the interesting way water is a recurring element in our texts for today. Our Old Testament lesson involving Noah and the flood is a principal example of God mysteriously forging a covenant with God's people in and through 
and after an encounter with water. There was death in this encounter with water. Much was washed away, and that is painful and scary. Yet in this encounter with water, there is also promise. The promise of this covenant is not just with Noah and his family members, but the text tells us with every living creature for all future generations. This encounter with water, the death and the new life, completely reshaped the world or the cosmos, creating a transformed life for the land and all people and animals for every generation to come. A covenant has been established that will flow through the meshwork of every living thing for the rest of time. Peter's letter picks up on these themes too. He explicitly names the flood as a prefigure of baptism. He explains that Christ was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And this time the spirit of or the promise of new life is not contained to the realm of material beings currently abiding on the earth. Peter tells us this life in the spirit brings Jesus to preach to those spirits in prison from former times, even back to the flood. That is an astonishing image. And I do not claim to understand the mystery of how this proclamation happened exactly or what it means for the spirits to be in prison. But this scripture does illustrate how Christ's death and resurrection resonates across all time and in all places. The effects of his death, the washing away of the old order of things, as in the flood, and the new life in God that comes with it have rippled through or reverberated across the whole cosmos. And now to our gospel reading. We hear of Jesus' baptism still playing with that theme of water. And then right after his baptism, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. There's an urgency to Mark's account, a drama. Jesus spends these 40 days in the company of three types of characters. One, Satan. Two, wild beasts. And three, angels. We know Satan is an opponent because of that word there meaning tempted or tested. We know the angels are advocates because they waited on Jesus. But these wild beasts come right in between those two, situated somewhere possibly between friend or foe. It's pretty easy to read these wild beasts as being part of the testing, as part of the intimidating wilderness environment. Yet Mark is intentionally echoing the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah gives us a different interpretation of the beasts in his vision of the peaceful kingdom. Isaiah 11 says, The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The cat
calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus brings all things together in his 40 days of testing and throughout his ministry. He renounces or rejects the lies of Satan. He calls the wilderness and the wild animals back to their God-given vocation. He fellowships with the angels. Jesus is reconciling everything. As Isaiah's prophecy is being realized, Jesus is empowered to preach the kingdom of God has come near. The first thing Jesus instructs, then, is to repent. Sunday of Lent. With Christ's death and resurrection and our participation through baptism on the horizon. Now is the perfect time to repent, to renounce those things which deny the flourishing of God's kingdom. This is time set apart to confess our sins, maybe even specifically out loud to a priest in the pastoral office of reconciliation. We can use this time especially to make amends with loved ones, to be more intentional in our hospitality to strangers, to spend more time in scripture and prayer, even fasting. We can renounce that voice in our head that says you'll never be enough. You have to make your own way forward. And this applies not only to our personal lives, as if we were self-contained units in our own little bubbles. No way. As we have seen, the reconciliation made possible by the triune God has cosmic implications. Now is the time to renounce evil and injustice in our schools in our courtrooms, in our prisons. Lord, have mercy. In our government offices, in our businesses, even in our churches, let that sin die. With all this earthy and animal imagery, we've seen in scripture, we should definitely renounce and repent our modern ways of relating to land and animals, water and air. In baptism, renunciation comes before affirmation. Death comes before resurrection. This is hard work, beloveds. 
to call back the institutions and ideologies of our world and to allow, allow ourselves to be called back to our God-given vocations. This is the demanding exercise of Lent, our 40 days in the wilderness. Praise God that we do not do this work alone. The angels and the Holy Spirit herself attend to us, guide and sustain us in the testing and renouncing. And we have each other, the body of Christ around the world and throughout time as our team. This is no mere volleyball match, of course, but we do know where we're heading. We do our work with this end goal always in mind. We die with Christ. We share in his preaching to the spirits in prison, perhaps including our own. And we are raised to new life, an everlasting covenant in which the whole cosmos resonates in perfect harmony with the boundless love of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Church of the Holy Family at holyfamilychapelhill.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Peace be with you.